morning. So I want to ask you a question this morning, and I'm going to give you about 15 seconds to respond if you're close enough to somebody next to you. Uh, share your answers with them, okay? So here's the question. What pushes your buttons? What, what, what provokes a reaction in you? What frustrates you? You have 15 seconds. Share with somebody next to you or think about it. Write it down. What pushes your buttons? All right, so I'm going to share uh, a few of mine. Um, bad drivers push my buttons. Now, not, not my driving, of course, somebody else's. Uh, I was walking back home from church one day. Uh, Amy and I, we used to live uh, about a block away from our church. And as we were crossing the, walk, the crosswalk, all of a sudden this car speeds up like it was going to hit us and then stops. Now, you've got to understand, I was born in New York, and though I didn't live there my whole life, there's something about traffic and driving that brings out my inner New Yorker. There's just something about the, the accent that just kind of puts some extra special emphasis on it. So as this car is coming towards us, as we're walking across the crosswalk, I was like, hey, what are you doing? And except I didn't get through that because I realized that as the car came closer, it was one of our elders from the church. And so it's more like, hey, Mel, good to see you, man. So I was able to catch myself, and I won't tell you the stories of when I didn't catch myself, but bad drivers, waiting, that is something that pushes my button. You ever been at the crosswalk and you press that button? Wait, 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 wait. I just stand there, wait, wait. One day, I'm, I swear, it's going to look at me like, dude, I told you to wait. I'm going to change, okay? Just chill out. Politics, Anyone? You know, they literally push notifications onto our phones so that the first thing in the morning we wake up to is the most sensational, remarkable story that's just going to get us going. And in fact, as a little aside, one of the things that I've done over the last few weeks that's been super helpful is I made a little policy for myself. And the policy is no news until the good news. All right, so no, like I will not get in most days. I will not get into um, the news until I've, I've been in the scripture. Until I've, and this has been really, really helpful because until I hear what God has to say to me and to us and to our world, I don't want to know what the latest news channel is telling me that I need to think. And sometimes if I'm really busy or the day goes by really fast, it's not until the afternoon or even the evening that I'm able to get into scripture and then check the news. And I'll tell you what, guess what? The crazies are still going going on without me, whether I'm checking it or not. So there's all kinds of things that press our buttons. But here's the reality. Our response is our responsibility. We can't change what happens. We can't change what people do. We can't change life situations. But we are responsible for our response. We're in this series called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, and it's a recognition that the reality that we live in is not the world in which we were originally designed to live in. It's a reality that there's brokenness, that there's pain that's been caused as a result of sin entering the world, shattering the shalom, the union, the connection between God, one another, and nature that he designed from the very beginning. Now, at the end, we know that God will 
restore that shalom. The last chapter of Revelation chapter 22 reminds us that same tree, the tree of life that's in the garden of Genesis is there. And God is at work bringing us to this place of restoration. And it's made possible by that tree in the middle of the cross. What Jesus did by stepping into our world, by stepping into the brokenness that we experience and live in, he took upon himself the penalty for our sin so that you and I might experience God's intention for shalom, for healing and restoration in our relationships. And he's given us what's called a ministry of reconciliation, that God is not counting people's sins against them, but is imploring them to be reconciled, reunited, restored in a relationship back to him. And the truth is, we live in the meantime. We live in the time between those two gardens. And in the meantime, it's a meantime. And here we are, aided by the cross, empowered by the Holy Spirit, but how do we live with these disappointments that get thrown at us? How do we live with this disappointment gap of the way things should be, or the way we want them to be, and the way they actually are? Well, last week we started looking at some of the Psalms, and we talked about how the Psalms are just a beautiful picture Right there in the middle of our Bible, I mean, literally when you open your Bible up to the middle, there are the Psalms, and they just stand as this great testimony to people pouring out their hearts to God in a way that is instructive for us, and it's helpful, and it's healthy, that as we come to God, acknowledging our disappointments, acknowledging our hurts, we're able to hear his response. As one author puts it, the sooner we're able to bring our emotions to God, the sooner we're able to hear what he would say in response. And today we're going to look at another psalm, Psalm 139, where this is laid out beautifully and powerfully for us. So if you have your Bibles or on your app or whatever, open to Psalm 139, and we're going to walk through this psalm together. It's a beautiful psalm in which David lays out the powerful, majestic, and beautiful attributes of God. Have you heard of these? Maybe in Sunday school you were taught God is omniscient, God is omnipresent, God is omnipotent. That means God is all-knowing. He's ever-present means he's all, he's everywhere at all times, and he's all-powerful. One, one author says, God is omni-everything, and I am omni-nothing. That doesn't mean I'm nothing. It just means that we are limited, but God is not. And David is just, in this psalm, is just powerfully laying out these attributes and qualities of God. And we're going to walk through it. We're going to walk through the whole psalm together. But I want to give you a spoiler. There's a surprise at the end. There is um, what I call some verses that are not quite hobby lobbyable, which means the, the first chunk of scripture are verses that you might go and see on a plaque at Hobby Lobby, and they're beautiful, and they're nice, and they're encouraging, and they're warm and fuzzy. But at the end, David is angry. He is mad. He is pouring out his heart to God. And I just want to show us that all of this exists within the same psalm, and that even in our own lives, as we bring our praise, there's also pain. And God wants to hear all of that because he can handle it, and he wants to bring us to a place of praise. So Psalm 139, the first section talks about God's omniscience, that he's all-knowing. It says this in verse 1, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts 
from afar. We used to have a children's book that had this psalm, and the, it's, it's, it just goes through the psalm. It's really cool. Uh, again, except for these verses at the end, but, but there's a little kid, and there's an ice cream truck and, truck, and the kid's licking their lips. You know my thoughts before I think them, right? Um, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, O Lord, know it completely. Sometimes a scary thought. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful, too lofty for me to attain. These verses talk about that God knows us so deeply, so intimately. St. Augustine said, you are more intimate to me than I am to myself. You are more intimate to me than I am to myself. In other words, God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. If you get a mind bender. But the reality is through God's spirit, he knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And one of the things I love in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul makes this uh, twist a couple of times. He talks about knowing God. And then he says, but rather since we are known by God. That God is the one that knows us, and our hearts hunger for longing, for intimacy, for connection, and that's ultimately most deeply and profoundly found in God. So God is omniscient. He knows us completely. But God is also omnipresent, meaning we cannot go anywhere that he is not. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? We're in verse 7. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. This is a great reality to understand that there's nowhere, there's nothing, as Paul says in Romans 8, nothing could ever separate us from the love of God. Height or depth, the present or the future, angels or demons, trials and tribulations, nothing could separate us from the love of God. As Jonah found out, trying to run from God, only found himself running right into God, back into an encounter with him. And that's the power, the beauty of who Jesus is, that he pursues us and he searches for us. We can never run from his presence. And now God's omnipotence, his all power, says this, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to me. How precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. God is our creator. He knows us. He loves us. He fashioned us. He formed us. As we see again in the New Testament that it says that God loved us and knew us before the foundation of the world. That's a love that's hard to even imagine and comprehend, yet it is 
the depth and the power of God's love for us. So here's David outlining these attributes of God, praising and pouring out his heart to him in praise. And watch this turn. Watch what happens in this next verse. And again, these are the verses. If you ever find a plaque like this in Hobby Lobby, buy it and let me know. I'll pay you for it. I want to I see. I want to hang it up in my office. But I don't know if you will. Listen to this. Verse 19. If only you, God, would slay the wicked... Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Wow, what is going on here? How is this possible that in the same psalm, David is able to praise God for his power, for his presence, for, for, for his love, and yet turn the corner and in an instant fall into the swirl of anger and even hatred. Well, David lives in the same world that we live in. And David experienced pain like you and I experience pain. David's mentor, King Saul, was trying to kill him. David's own son, King Absalom, was trying to take the throne from him. There was sexual abuse and violation in the home where one of David's sons raped his daughter. There's brokenness on every level. And if you go back to the story of David's childhood, you see a young boy that was rejected by his family. As Samuel came in asking, God said, the next king of Israel is in this family. And he told David's father, Jesse, get all your sons ready because we're going to anoint the next king. And guess what? They didn't even bother to ask David to show up. He was out in the fields. They didn't even consider that he would be a possibility. When David shows up to fight, to, to, see, to help his brothers as they're in this battle against Goliath, they mock him and they tell him to go back home to mommy. Rejected his whole life. And, 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 and here as a king and as a follower of God, he is continuing to face opposition and challenges. The lesson for this week in this study is called Problems Placed on Us. And problems within us. There are so many things that we can't control. There are so many things that just happen to us. The way they're happening to David. People against him. They're rising up against him. There's abuse. There's neglect. There's violation happening in the family. There's all of these things that are taking place that you and I also experience in our lives. But David understands that his response to that is his responsibility. That while we can't control what happens to us, we can make a decision for what we're going to do. And the next few verses are so instructive of what he does next. He, he first of all, takes this anger, which is real, it's valid, it's a human emotion that God has given us. And if you remember last week, we talked about learning to pour out our hearts to God. Because God knows. So listen to what David says in verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
He catches himself. He understands that while he's pouring out his praise, this pain is present, and that pain begins to rise within him. And David understands something that you and I need to understand, and that is that if we don't transform our pain, we will transmit it to others. If we don't meet with God in the place of our pain and our brokenness, that will slosh out onto other people. David understands that, and so he brings it to God. And he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Wait, those verses sound familiar. Verse 1, you have searched me, Lord, and know me. So this omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God that David knows and loves and praises comes back, it circles back around to realizing, wait, God, you know my heart, and I'm inviting you to search me. I'm inviting you to shine your light on what's happening in my mind and in my heart and in my life, because if you don't, I'll end up going a way that is hurtful to me and to others. Search my heart. Know me. Try me. Test me. It says in the Proverbs that the Lord is like a lamp, and he searches out a man's inmost being, that he searches us from the inside out. What I want to commend to us today is a practice of being before the Lord like this, in our pain, in our challenge, in our difficulties, to come before God and say, God, search my heart. You already know me, but I'm placing myself before you. So how do we do that? I want to give you a practice today. It's 500 years old. It's called the Prayer of Examine. It was designed by a guy named Ignatius of Loyola, who was one of the first missionaries that created a society of missionaries that went literally around the world. One of them went to the hometown of my father in India, a guy named Francis Xavier in Goa back in like 1504. But, but Ignatius of Loyola developed this prayer called the Prayer of Examine as a way to practice what David is doing here, to say, God, search my heart, know me, test me, and see if there is anything in me that is not pleasing and lead me in your way. Now, I have a little outline of this on the way out. You can pick it up, and if you're watching online, we have a new updated app that you can download, and on the app, there's some notes, a notes section, and you'll also be able to find the prayer of examine there. But here's, the, here's how the prayer of examine works. There's three movements. Now, what you do is, this works best at the end of the day. You sit at the end of the day and you review your day. You play your day back like it was a movie. Like you're watching it with no sound in fast motion. You're watching from the time you get up and where you go and, and, and who you interact with and when you go to work or, or wherever you go and you, you come back and you're, you're just kind of watching your, your day. You play it back. And there's three movements of this. There's gratitude, so thankfulness. And you just say, okay, God, what am I grateful for today as I've walked through this day? There's awareness. Where was I most aware of your presence? For me, it's kind of stepping outside in the house first thing in the morning, seeing the sun or the clouds. Just often nature just provokes an awareness of God's presence. But as followers of Jesus, one of our goals is to grow and deepen our daily awareness of God's presence because he's omnipresent. He's with us all the time. And then finally, it ends with confession. What is it that I need to confess to the Lord today. And in that confession part, as I'm reviewing my day like a movie at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit will often press pause on my day, on that moment, on a person's face where I was perhaps rude, where I was uncaring, where I missed a need. And it gives me an opportunity 
to ask God for forgiveness. It gives me an opportunity to recommit my heart, my life to him for the day that's ahead. So I want us to take a moment and practice the prayer of examine. I know we don't have a whole day worth of um, time, but neither do we have a number of minutes to do this. I'll usually take three, four, five minutes to do a prayer of examine at the end of the day. And it's just a powerful practice to put into practice what David is saying here. God, search me. Know my heart because you know me better than I know myself. And our capacity for self-deception is tremendous. Our ability to hurt others and ourselves and not even realize it. I mean, this is the same guy who committed adultery, had Bathsheba's husband killed, and didn't even experienced the prick of his conscience until weeks later when the prophet Nathan confronted him. We have a capacity for self-deception. And the prayer of examine helps us invite the work of the Holy Spirit to search us, to know our hearts, and to lead us in his everlasting way. Let's try the prayer of examine together. Go ahead and close your eyes. Take a few deep breaths. Welcome God's presence here with you right now. And just with the time that you've had this morning, just kind of replay your morning. Who'd you interact with? Family on the way here. What are you grateful for today? The crisp air outside, the rain that fell last night. Now, where were you aware of his presence? Perhaps it's right now in this moment. Maybe it's when we were singing worship. Maybe it's when you took that first breath outside your front door. And now to confession. Is there anything that God is showing you in any interactions, thoughts, or attitudes, something that you're holding on to or carrying today? that he's inviting you to let go of in his presence. Search our hearts, O oh God. Test us and know our anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Amen. There are problems placed on us. There are problems that arise within us. Jesus on the cross had the problems and the sin of the world placed upon him for us. And yet from that place, being innocent of the insults and the mocking and the torture that he endured from the cross, he proclaimed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And those words of forgiveness are granted to each of us that we might walk in forgiveness and offer that to others. So this week, would you just make a commitment to follow Jesus, to allow him to search your heart, practice the examine, and allow his spirit to lead you into a place of freedom that you might be a blessing to others in his name. God bless you, and his peace be with you today.